for the last few weeks, my daughter's been running around the house going, Heimdall, I know you can hear me. Open the Bifrost. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't record it. Very weird. Digital Gonzo, episode 72, dated Thursday the 3rd of May, 2012. The Avengers. You were made to be ruled. In the end, will be every man for himself. What do we do? We get ready. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people. So when we needed them, they could fight the battles that we never could. Gentlemen, what are you prepared to do? No offense, but I don't play well with others. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that away, what are you? Uh, genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. <laughs> This is the sixth and final of the official Marvel superhero movie reviews for now. Over the past five weeks, we have covered Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, and Captain America, The First Avenger. In the future, we will be returning to Marvel with reviews of the Spider-Man and X-Men film series, and maybe a few of the others, like Daredevil, Fall, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and Ang Lee's Hulk. We'll also be covering any subsequent movies from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including Iron Man 3, Thor 2, Captain America 2, and the inevitable follow-up to The Avengers. But right now we're focusing on the culmination of years of setup and expectation as The Avengers assemble. Back on the helicarrier, enjoying a falcon's eye view, are Gonzo Planet's colourful costumed reviewing heroes, Slayer of Frost Giants and Rescuer of Maidens, oh so fair. It's the Gonzo Planet Community Podcast helmsman, Jerome McIntosh. What's up, guys? Super patriotic, Olympic-level, star-spangled webmaster, Mr. Paul Flying Motorbike Muttley Gibson. <laughs> Kana Rince's resident expert on gamma radiation, now rendered into glorious performance-captured CGI, it's Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Uh, you're really realistic today, Josh, honestly. <laughs> From Game Burst and KDS 2.0, the gender-bending head of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's Neil Fury Taylor. <laughs> Thanks, I think. Okay, I'm going to try to keep this to another hour, simply to stop us rambling, because if we have no restrictions, then we're going to hit five hours of raw footage, just like the last Harry Potter show. So we're looking at 60 minutes with overtime if required. Also, I am placing a ban on superlatives. We are not allowed to say the following words. Fantastic, just, really, really well, 
incredible, unless in the context of the Hulk, amazing, unless in the context of Spider-Man, brilliant, or other words to that effect, or Josh Whedon. (laughs) And the reason for this is simple. We are going to accept that our listeners have already seen the film, and fairly recently too. They know how awesome it is. We don't need to sell them a ticket, or set the scene by using language to imply epicness or supreme quality. These are officially a given. Our duty as reviewers is to tell the personal tales of how this resonates with us in relation to general opinion, both in the good and in the bad. The penalty, if someone uses a superlative tonight, is that they have to admit to something embarrassing. Now, first up, as I left the cinema after seeing The Avengers, I posted the following message to Twitter. Lord of the Rings, then Avengers. That is all. Now, this is a bold statement to make, especially if you know me and how much I love the Lord of the Rings movies. But if you know me, and you know me well, you'll also know I don't say things like this lightly about movies, with the following exceptions. And I quote, It's not a very cinematic experience about Mars Attacks. That was really awesome. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. They should have left the headbutting in the UK cut of The Matrix. I think I may prefer this to the original, It's Like the Empire Strikes Back. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. I'm not sure which is the best film of 1997, LA Confidential or Face Off. (laughs) And may I have a ticket, please? Speed (laughs) 2. However, I need to make myself clearer here. I do not think The Avengers is the second best film ever made on a technical scale. In the grand scheme of things, there are hundreds of films far more accomplished, with greater depth, stronger narrative, better action sequences, better scripting, directing, you name it. This is not about technical proficiency. It's about how this film jumps straight into my number two slot, where it will remain standing proud for, I would imagine, a very long time. This is about what the Avengers symbolises, not what happens on screen, but what it took to make those things happen. Not what goes on, but what went on. For the same reason that Lord of the Rings is cemented in at number one because of its wonderful, challenging, emotionally charged production and the team of immensely talented, passionate people involved in that, I love Avengers because it brings my dreams to life. We've seen heroes on screen since before we had screens. This dates back to the first stories told by the firesides of our forefathers. Epic adventures with demigods facing unspeakable evil, Beowulf, Hercules, and of course Thor himself. Conflicts replicated again and again throughout our history, retold through the filters of theatre, music, literature, radio, film, television, and video and tabletop games. Heroes saving the world are nothing new. If I ask you to think back to silver screen representations of comic book heroes, your thoughts may swing to Superman by Donner, Batman by Burton. But as we've discussed, these representations go far back to the pulp heroes of serial adventures. Avengers doesn't say anything new about whether the world needs heroes. These are themes handled more deftly in The Dark Knight, Watchmen and Hancock. Even the combination of heroes from multiple stories has been done before to atrocious effect in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. No. Avengers does something that due to budgets, licensing, time and technology constraints and all those other shitty constructs of the reality of civilization that keep our dreams from coming true have been impossible up to now. It assembles heroes we already know well and mixes them into one glorious explosive cocktail with a taste right out of Marvel's most epic crossovers. That in itself would be an achievement. But to do it with such effortless style, such assured confidence, such knowledge of the cause of these characters, and such an unmistakable heart that can only come from a brown coat, hammers this one into the stratosphere. 
It's one thing to see Spider-Man fight Green Goblin in the centre of Manhattan. That's frankly to be expected. But in Marvel's comics since the dawn of the Silver Age some 50 years ago, while reading Spidey stories, other heroes from other comics would come and visit him, chat with him, often fight with him, and otherwise establish some form of connection. This made the Marvel comic universe seem richer, fuller, and populated with special individuals and groups far too numerous for one book. It also subtly cross-pollinated the titles. If you meet Daredevil for the first time reading Spider-Man, then maybe you pick up his book next time you go into the comic store. My Dreams as a Child featured Hulk tear-assing his way around New York, smashing all and sundry with Spider-Man, battling his rogues gallery alongside Iceman and Firestar, his amazing friends. The cartoons of the 80s, and more specifically the 90s, produced by Marvel without the licensing issues that plagued the cinematic outings, had it right on the money. These heroes shared a world and visited one another. Of course, in my dreams, they were accompanied by Optimus Prime, the Centurions, Brave Star, He-Man, Banana Man, and indeed... Supergran. And I accept that that's an on-screen unlikelihood outside of Robot Chicken, Family Guy, and South Park's Imagination Land. But for the longest time, even the unified Marvel Universe could never happen in a film. The chains of licensing hold creativity back. It would have been unthinkable in 2002 for Sony to feature Hugh Jackman's Wolverine in their Spider-Man film. He was attached to the X-Men, whose license to all characters was retained by Fox. Hulk, owned by Universal, could never come bounding in to help take out Dr. Octopus in the sequel. And Daredevil, owned by Fox again, sure as hell couldn't help Peter take out Venom and Sandman at the end of Spidey 3. Even today, the X-Men and Spidey have been retained by those studios, barring them from near-future crossover potential. The first five films we've covered show us that these characters could potentially intersect. Middlemen from S.H.I.E.L.D. like Nick Fury and the great Phil Coulson would interact with multiple heroes and a broader scope was hinted at than the confines of a simple origin story of a classic Marvel hero. Now, for the past few days, we've actually been able to see the world. And it's delivered in a fashion that's so bright and beautiful, so dark and scary, so joyous, luscious, charming, clever, funny and thrilling that I did not want to leave my seat. To those levelling issues of shallowness at this origin story, here's some unnecessarily deep deconstruction reading ten times into the characters than the great Stanley Lieberman ever imagined. Each Avenger is a different aspect of warfare through the ages. Hawkeye is the lone and skilled sharpshooter, a dedicated one-man arsenal. Black Widow is espionage, the lethal application of duplicity and social camouflage. Iron Man is ingenuity, human frailty nullified by galvanising technological superiority. Captain America is flag-waving patriotism and the inspiration of hearts and minds. Thor is the untouchable champion to venerate and also the notion of divine providence. Nick Fury is the seasoned general imparting only what his men need to know to win. And Hulk is the devastating force wrought by science, their atom bomb. It's entirely appropriate that these titans would not meet unless the world could not survive without them. Their awe-inspiring abilities, when combined, eclipse the Autobots and even the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar, finally delivering an action film with a sort of skyscraper-leveling box office cachet with a clever brain for the first time this century. This saving the world from annihilation by alien forces taps into the beginnings of sci-fi and 50s B-movies, effectively performing exactly the same task as the Transformers films, only rather than expertly coiffured, lecherous, ten-thumbed simpleton Michael Bay at the helm, we get a man who has been adored by geeks everywhere since Sarah Michelle Gallas staked her first vampire. A man who has proved his aptitude for characterisation and sparkling dialogue, along with the balanced juggling act of extensive gangs of heroes. Not only does he prove absolutely up to the task, but takes to this aspect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe so well that you wonder what the fuck the studios were doing giving the X-Men to Brett Ratner and the Fantastic Four to Tim's story. 
Its success as a mainstream hit is admirable as well, delivering the spectacle that people flock to the works of Bay, Verbinski and Emmerich for, but with the dry wit of an independent film seen by hundreds. No, on a technical level it's not better than The Dark Knight, but did I enjoy it more? Will I watch it again and again on Blu-ray until my machine spits it out in disgust? Will it give form to my new dreams? The answer is a resounding yes. It's the story of exceptional men and one woman who have an uneasy relationship with the wider world, trying to find their place alongside one another for the common good. It's a film about channeling the grandstanding ego and the chaotic id with the guiding force of the superego. It's a film about the supreme unlikelihood of those converging forces meeting and actually not destroying one another. It's a film about how trust can be earned through conflict and resolution. But most of all, it's a film about a world where when terrible things happen and cruel people seek to subjugate us, there are people there in the brightest of colours to shield us, to save us, and to avenge us. A world we have read about for decades and now seems that much more marvellous. I've seen the film twice now, so... Uh, Thank my... you for helping me win my bet. That's all right. <laughs> um, I went to see it twice simply because I enjoyed it so much uh, the first time. Um, and also because I kind of wanted to solidify my opinion on the film. Um, I think it's the best Marvel movie to date. Um, I don't think it's my favourite superhero movie. I'd still rank The Dark Knight higher but it's like a close second for me. Um, it's one of the most entertaining, just purely entertaining movies I've seen in a long time. It's funnier than most comedies I've seen, mm. um, but not in a forced way. It never felt like the jokes were just, okay, here's a gag. It felt like organic uh, dialogue, organic character moments that brought humour to those situations. And they balance it out perfectly with some actually really quite tragic and moving scenes between the characters. Mm. Um, and I feel like Joss Whedon does such a good job of... Um, you know, balancing um, all the characters. So it never feels like one character is owning that movie. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. kind of is a bit of a scene stealer, but that's just because he's Robert Downey Jr., one of the greatest actors on the planet. Um, <laughs> we wouldn't he, have said that ten years ago, would we? <laughs> but um, he, everyone gets their moment. Like Everyone has one moment where you think, okay, that guy's badass, that guy's cool. Um, and everyone has an arc as well, which really surprised me because I thought that like um, Hawkeye and um, Black Widow would just be left to the sideline. They'd just be, okay, we're the badass assassins. But you do get some backstory with Black Widow and you, and also Hawkeye actually goes on his own like little miniature arc during the film. Um, 
And Tom Hiddleston's still one of the best villains um, in all these Marvel films. I'm, I was really, really happy with the end result. And I'm like, after years of, you know, hype and I, I'm just glad it lived up to the hype and in some ways surpassed it. Like uh, Josh, I have actually seen the Avengers twice. Thank you for helping me with my bed. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay. I'm seeing Batman twice, so it'll balance out. Ah, nice. Yeah, good thinking. I'll tell you what, Neil, I will see Batman twice to make up for Josh's extra time. <laughs> and I'm actually really glad I, di- I did get to see it twice because I did enjoy it the first time round, and I enjoyed it just as much the second time round. Although I'll admit, I saw it twice in the god awful 3D. Oh, God. Yeah, don't Did you have no choice, or...? No choice. My local cinema was doing it 3D only. Oh, and 3D or nothing. I, I, seriously, 2D, folks, this is a retrofit, and it, it it robs some of the scenes, to be honest, for me. But on the whole, I really enjoyed this. This, this per, on a personal level, isn't my favourite Marvel movie. It's my second favourite Marvel movie, and like Alex, once it's out on DVD, I'm quite sure this one will live in the DVD player for a while. <laughs> oh, what's I, your first favourite? I still enjoy Thor the most. Oh. Uh, at the minute, Thor is the one that I keep. I watch that quite a few times now, and I just re- it's just the one I enjoy the most. Going back to, yeah, this movie has a few, a few little problems and a few nitpicks at it, but on the whole, this this is the Saturday morning cartoon brought to the big screen. You know, this mm-hmm. is everything we hoped for, everything we wanted. Um, I, again, I can nitpick a few things. There's only like two things I sort of had a problem with, but they're not particularly major. It's like. Oh, okay, you did it that way, all right. Um, but on the whole, I'm happy. I'm very happy that, you know, we finally got a proper comic book movie that is the crossover, that is all mm. these characters mm. together, and the time was well-balanced, and I'm sorry, I don't care. Robert Downey Jr. is not the guy that stole the scenes in this movie. That goes to Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, he was great. I, uh, I'm going to say this now, and I'm probably going to break the rule now, but... Best banner ever goes to Mark Ruffalo. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call that um, superlatives. That statement. That's fine. I will allow that. I, I am honestly. That is the. That was the mo- most interesting banner I've seen in a long time. Mm. Uh, whether it be the conversation with Black Widow in India, or the just his little mannerisms around the place, like when he's first on the helicarrier and he, he goes to walk towards the steps and sees the guards and sort of shrinks away from them and things like that. It, I, it's very slight in his movements, isn't it? It's, 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 it's a subtle performance. It's not just sort of... It's the, it's the polar opposite of Downey sort of staggering around the place and going... Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, but when those two are together, it's a joy to watch them yeah. two as well. They're the original hard couple. It is literally a case of where, you know, when he goes, finally, someone who speaks English. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I want to see more of these two on screen. But, yeah, I, I, I can't say no more. I just, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. This is really, this is when you're growing up and you're watching the Saturday morning cartoons. This is the movie that you wanted to see on the big screen. Don't see it in 3D. I actually ended oh, up having... A- Did anyone else see it in 3D? Yep. No. Paul, what was it like? Not good, but I don't have a good record with 3D as it is. Um, Can I just ask a quick question, seeing as you saw it in 3D? Were some of the action scenes just too blurry to follow? Yeah, it's the whole last third. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm glad it's not me. There was just some scenes where it was, the, the depth perception was fine, but what's the point in having depth perception in a movie? You, if it's 3D, it's gimmicky. It should be coming at the screen, but when it hit the fast-paced action in the last third, it's like, I'm not sure what's going on. It's a bit blurry. 
It yeah. was pretty much all right if part of the image was static, either yeah. the foreground or the background. If the camera's moving and what you're looking at's moving in different directions, it just went blurry and you couldn't quite tell what was going on. Okay, you know what? 3D sucks. Newsflash, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. The no shit, no shit Sherlock statement of the yeah, show. Yeah, we need to hear what Paul and Jerome think. So let's start with Paul. This is very much a Joss Whedon movie, mm. as well as a Marvel movie. The humour balance is there, as it was in most of his previous work. Cameos from other things he's done. Back actors that have been in other things he've done, they're all there. The geek references. It's wonderful to have a true crossover of individual characters that have been fleshed out during one movie, and you get a true sense of who these people are and what sort of baggage they're coming with. And yeah. to be honest, I went in there with high expectations and... There was the past. Uh, I and I truly did not expect to laugh as much as I did within the movie. Yeah, me either. It's the same as again with ridiculous expectations. There was a point when the camera started rotating around them, and it was the money shot. It was kind of like a Mike, you know, the Michael Bay shot where it slowly rotates up. The, the this shit just got this real. This shit just shot. got real. <laughs> shot, yeah. And it's that, and everyone starts sort of wrecking their guns and pulling back their bows and, and flexing and swinging their hammers. And I went, oh my god! And I actually, I, I, I took my breath away. And I got a little bit teary, which it, it's because it's the cover of a comic right there, and it's it's just been done properly. And when we look back on this film in 20 years' time, we'll say this was the first time they started doing it right. Uh, when I went to see it the first time, that, that shot actually got cheered. Yeah. I wish there had been an audience that would cheer. I, I clapped with lightly at the end. I had an odd audience. That, that I went on the Saturday, and it was a good mix of kids, and it was a fairly full cinema. My cinema doesn't normally get pretty full. And it was, fa- it was pretty rammed, and they were laughing, cheering... They were really enjoying it. I mean, I was going along. It was great fun. Seeing this film with a really good audience is essential, frankly. Yeah, no, because I went on the Thursday and it was very clear that the audience that I was with were all Marvel fans because there were people dressed up in costume and stuff like that. Okay, that goes beyond Marvel fans. I was wearing my Iron Man uh, Alt Reactor t-shirt, but I wasn't in costume. That's great. No, but um, it was great because um, they were all laughing at the jokes that were for us. Nice. If you know what I mean, like um, the Agent Coulson joke with uh, Tony Stark, where he says his first name is Agent, which is something you'd only really laugh at hysterically if you'd watched all the films up to that point. Yeah, and and stuff like uh, the Captain America 
uh, not getting the Stephen Hawking reference. Mm. Um, I went to see that the second time I was with a uh, audience that was a bit more mainstream, and there was a couple of titters, but there wasn't really much laughter. But when I saw it that first time, everyone burst out laughing because they uh, they knew the character. And it was it's possible great. that your second audience didn't know who Stephen Hawking was either. Yeah, it's possible. It's <laughs> very <laughs> shameful. I was thinking, well, why didn't you just say uh, Albert Einstein? But I'm not sure of the chronology. Einstein may only have been made really uh, famous because of the Manhattan Project, which may actually have followed Steve. True. So, yeah. I, I did like the Flying Monkeys reference. And the fact that they didn't then explain it afterwards. It's, it's, you know it's a good script when they don't explain the jokes. When they just let it go. And then if you don't get it, you're not going to laugh if they explain it. So what's the point? Old yeah, rule. If you have the, to explain the joke, it doesn't It's not work. funny enough, yeah. I did, I did love the Harry Dean Stanton one. <laughs> what was the Harry... Uh, who was... What was the significance of Harry Dean Stanton meeting the Hulk? Apart from saying, are you an alien? Oh, God. Today? <laughs> <laughs> See, I was just thinking, is that Harry Dean Stanton? God, he looked old in Alien, which we'll say next week. I was <laughs> just thinking... He's still alive? Yeah. <laughs> Astonishing. He's been doing loads of work since then. But, he showed uh, up yeah. in Chuck, I think it was, a couple of, in the middle of last season as well. Mm. Really old in that. <laughs> oh, and they finally got the Hulk's pants right. I think Kermode always complains about the Hulk pants thing. When he woke up completely butt naked. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, because your pants, your big ruined pants would just fall off you. Of course they would. I had I had a, a Marvel fan sitting next to me, so when Stan Lee turned up, we both went, hey, at the same time. <laughs> that was extremely gratifying. But I think the best member of the audience was when Thor said, you want me to bring the hammer down? No. When Thor said, you want me to put the hammer down? And uh, then slams it onto Steve's shield, and then there's this, like, an atomic explosion, and then the, you know, huge explosion, and then utter silence, and the cinema was just sort of awed hush. And this kid at the back goes... Awesome. <laughs> Huge round of laughter just from that kid. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I watched Green Lantern today, and uh, one of the reviews actually said that 12-year-old boys are the most well-served audience in the world, in the <laughs> cinema right now, because there's so many sort of 12A-rated action movies, PG-13s, being released right now, and, and, and it was just for the past few years. If you like um, Pixar-style animation... Tons of it. If you like superhero movies, tons of it. They're all PG 13s and they're all aimed at 12 year old boys. So I'd kind of, I, I'm kind of envious of kids who were born in like the turn of the century. I'm not. I want to shoot them. They ruined my horror movies. They did. Oh, yeah, those little bastards that ruined Women in Black or tried to. Just chatting in a way. Because they're allowed to get into some horror movies, like PG-13 ones. Which is why we have PG-13 to our way. Why do we have it? Because the companies make more money, because there's more bums on seats. You know what's cool, though? In, at the local, at the Boston uh, cinema, Neil, uh, the, there's a rule that says uh, for after 7pm screenings, all under 12 need to be accompanied by an adult. So even if it is a 12A, you can't just let in a group of kids to natter away when the adults are there to watch their movies. They don't mind ruining the matinees, but if, if adults are there, you shut the fuck up and you have an adult with you. Seriously, I mean, isn't it bad that, you know, Kermode and Mayo had to do the rules of con <laughs> the code of conduct? This shit should just be ingrained. I think we've got time for the code of conduct. And then I'll play the Code of Conduct, because it's awesome. Yes, because he, this is why I keep saying we need an Alamo Draft House. 
We, yeah, we need yeah. Uh, uh, the equivalent in the Midlands. That would be nice. I would go there all the time, even damn the expense. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, when so I lived in I... Edinburgh, there was a cinema. It was a small, generally showing independent stuff, but mm. a place called The Cameo. And it was literally an old theatre, two screens and a bar. And they, I think they only opened at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> so if you went to see something there, it was adults, and you didn't get any of that. And you could take a pint in with you as well. So, Avengers, unlike the characters, did not have a crappy 60s cartoon, or an 80s cartoon, or a mid-90s cartoon. Most probably because of the oft-lamented licensing laws tied up with the big three. Hulk for those of you not in the know, has only been an actual full-time member of the Avengers on a few occasions in the past half-century. But Cap, Thor and Iron Man, all of whom have their own solo comic series, absolutely have. So this was not like the X-Men, where Wolverine and indeed several others, including Gambit and Cable, got their own spin-off comics. This was the pooling of Marvel's established titans in a central New York location. So when Avengers United They Stand aired in 1999... Without the big three, but assembling Wasp, Wonder Man, Tigra, Vision, The Peeper, Anklebiter, Happenstance, Princess Headbutt, Squirrel Girl, and of course Boxface, all led by the Avengers B-lister Ant-Man, anybody who knew anything about the comics was disappointed. The show was predictable. Central Park is bracing for a crowd of well-wishers today when the President of the United States will present a special commendation to the Manhattan-based crime-fighting team, the Avengers. Led by shape-shifting superhero Ant-Man, the Avengers are loved and respected around the world for their work against international terrorism and crimes of mass destruction. Enjoying the attention, dearest? No, no, not really. I've always thought it better that the Avengers avoid the spotlight. But it's hard to say no to the president. Honestly, Hank, it's harder to say no to me. And I say we're going. Of course, Jan. You deserve today. So do the others. Somehow I'm just not sure I'm the one to lead you. Hank, what in the world do you mean? I'm not exactly Captain America. Or Thor, or Iron Man. Now am I? Well, none of them is Dr. Henry Pym, world's greatest biochemist. Hank, we helped form the Avengers. And don't you forget that. You are as qualified to lead us as anyone. He isn't. The show was predictable Saturday morning, fair, outdated even for its time, and cancelled just as swiftly. It wasn't until 2010's Earth's Mightiest Heroes that we actually got to see the team that Marvel fans had grown to love. Okay, so it makes the most sense to use each character in turn as a jumping-off point into each aspect of the film. So what I'll do is I'll throw a character out there, and just anyone who needs to say something about that character... As long as it's not a superlative, or you're admitting embarrassing stuff, we'll start with Nick Fury. In that, I could say, in that universe, I think if you open the dictionary and look up badass, I think his pitch is there. Is badass a superlative? I need a ruling on this. Descriptive. Okay. 
I'm going with descriptive, but... Okay. As applies to Samuel L. Jackson's statement of fact. I, I believe it's bad motherfucker when he says <laughs> well, it. <yeah. laughs> I really like how they make him feel a part of the team. He's yeah. not just, like, the observer going, Okay, kiddies... Go fight uh, Loki for me. Okay, he's I'll not, see you in I'll see you in a couple of hours. He's um, not Charlie from Charlie's Angels. Yeah, he gets involved, and there's um, especially during the ha- uh, helicarrier scene. He's you know he's killing people. He's showing like <laughs> he's he, Bosley. Yeah, he he's <laughs> taking people down. And um, to be like, let, let's be honest here. Samuel L. Jackson is being Samuel L. Jackson. This mm. isn't really a a stretch for him. No. But you know what? I like Samuel L. Jackson being Samuel L. Jackson. Most so that's do. all right by me. Um, and it, But by God, is it weird seeing him dressed up that way after reading The Ultimates. I know I've seen him in previous uh, films, but now he's like a proper character, not just like a cameo. It's kind of, this is weird. <laughs> Art imitating life, imitating art. Yeah, as, as discussed last week. The um, the two things I liked about him most were his manipulative side, which definitely came mm. through with the blood on the trading cards. And even if ultimately his, his ultimate aims of manipulation have positive means, he is underhanded about the way he executes them. And the other one was actually that he, he actually he worried and he felt in a way that I didn't expect from Samuel L. Jackson. I also expected him to just sort of march in there and act like he was mates with all the filmmakers and wearing sunglasses and not actually stretching himself at all. But he mourned Agent Coulson. Mm-hmm. And he, he got shot himself, and he worried that the planet was about to die. And he, when he runs out there and blows up the, uh, the, the plane with the rocket launcher, it's like, yeah, oh shit, there were two. I mean, he is very much a man trapped in the middle I mean, mm. he, he may be head of this huge organisation. Middle management, he still, yeah. <laughs> he still has to answer to a board of directors, essentially. How could you trust Powers Booth? The man is pure evil. <laughs> Anyone who's watched Deadwood knows yes. that you don't trust Powers Booth ever. Evil. And uh, also, did anyone else recognise Jenny Agatha in, in that council? I saw her name in the credits, but yeah. Yeah, I didn't place it at the time. She was one of them. <laughs> 3D, too dark. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't see her, but I, I, I recognised her voice from American Wealth in London. Any more Nick Fury? Um, going back to the scene where he was mourning um, Agent Coulson. His name um, is Phil. Phil Coulson. Um, I, I, that, you were talking about like he was genuinely mourning him. There's like a line of dialogue where he says, um, I've lost my... Uh, my best eye. I think he's referring to um, yeah. Bruce Banner. And he says, I, I suppose I had that coming. And the way he delivers that line, I don't yeah, know why. Like, it just kind of got to me. It was like a really oddly like fragile moment for that character. I mean, if you look at, think about it, Phil is the main person Nick relies on to get things done. He's his uh, hand that he can extend out into the world. Because Nick Fury can't go driving around to New Mexico to stop a uh, gas station heist. So, and, and also, I think it was Giles who actually predicted the death of Coulson. 
yeah. so we can talk about him here as an extension of Nick Fury um, because uh, A, uh, Joss Whedon has a habit of killing off key characters that everybody loves we're not it wasn't spoil, him we're not going to spoil that yeah. but yeah uh, yeah no he actually said I can't believe you're going to do that uh, it's, uh, they're going to blame me for it that wasn't <laughs> Joss's decision but also this film could not be bloodless you couldn't get through this film and everyone's fine well um, it's not bloodless you just don't see a lot of the fallout of it. Yeah, no, but I mean, people die that we actually care about, and specifically yeah. in this case, Coulson dies, and we care about Coulson, and it's a well-executed move, because unlike, if Thor had died, you'd be like, right, so I wonder if Avengers 2, The Search for Thor, will be coming out in the next year or so. But no, no, Coulson is a character who will not come back from the dead. The thing you sent me, Jerome, last week about how uh, the death of Superman killed death in comics was very astute. Because Superman died and then came back and it sold God knows how many books, it kind of it broke the notion of death in comics. And now I think the only two characters who've died and stayed dead in comics that I can think of, Gwen Stacy and Ilyana Rasputin, the frail, the small and the blonde. Isn't Uncle Ben still dead? Oh, I think he came back in Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, I think Gwen did briefly as well. Uh, Gwen was a... Close. I think she came... Oh, uh, yeah. Or something, but no, it's n- it's not been proper Gwen, proper coming. I mean, like Norman Osborn came back recently, and is Norman Osborn, and he's alive, and it's purely motivated by the Spider-Man movie. Doing that with death cheapens the experience. I mean, like when Hawkeye died, that was a major event in the Avengers universe. He wasn't even dead for a year before he came back. You can kill them, and then you can bring them. We're talking about something else completely different. But the point is that Coulson won't do that, and, yeah. and that that gives his his death weight and value. Although saying that, Marvel have just um, started writing him into the comics. And he's also in Ultimate Spider-Man. Well, that's slightly different. He's not going to come back in the universe. That's more a victory of the the, the character and the actor, isn't it? That they've actually decided to take him... It's like Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn did not exist outside Mm. of the animated Batman series. She was so popular, they wrote her into the comics. So it's it's a real coup for, you know, the actor and the character there. And I'm going to miss him. I love him. Yeah, Yeah. he's great. Yeah, I was going to say, I was honestly surprised how moved I was. Because Mm. I liked Agent Coulson, but I always saw him as a side character. But when he, you know, it's that thing where when something's snatched away from you, you suddenly realise how valuable it actually was. And that's how I felt about Agent Coulson. It's just like, oh... He's dead. Shit. I... Oh, God. No! <laughs> I actually really have to bad. admit something. I knew what happened to Coulson before I went to see the pictures because somebody spoiled it for me. Who did that? It was it was just someone on Twitter. And oh, right. What's so, a git? <laughs> and it was a case of, okay, I know this happened. And even though I knew it was going to happen, I got so involved see. in the movie, I forgot. So when it happened, I was like, oh, oh. Oh, see, I could, I could see him. The second he took on Loki with a giant gun, I thought, "Oh, Coulson, you brave fool! You know what's going to happen." I, I am, I'm getting close to superlatives. We need to move on. That's basically the time when you need to move on. When you know when you're going to go. It was just awesome. He was just brilliant. His name is Clark Gregg, and I hope he's in a lot more films as a result of this because well, he has a very canny use of, uh, of dialogue. You got the impact on his death that you just didn't get from, um, say, Bucky and Cap. Yeah, that just kind of happened and everything carried on. Yeah, there's a, a, a distinct difference in the directorial styles as yeah. well. Yeah, you got to know uh, Agent Coulson uh, in Iron Man 2008. He's been around for a long time now for us. Yeah. 
It's four years. And yeah, he will be missed. Although, you can now see him in Ultimate Spider-Man. And Earth-616. Now, I found out found this term a few uh, days ago when doing research. It's the standard term applied to the regular Marvel Universe. It was first invented by Alan Moore when he was doing some British comics and things like Excalibur in the early 80s. And people like Joe Quesada of Marvel hate it. Moore specifically was trying to think of, rather than making it Earth-1, he just thought, let's think of a really big number, 616. And that's the... The, sl- the term for the regular continuity. And I will mention Earth 616 in a bit, and you'll know why. Next character, Black just, Widow. Can I just add in, and of course DC decided that their main continuity is Earth 1. Earth, yeah. Well, actually, it was, it was in reference to that. It was, uh, it was just after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and um, it, it was kind of a way of going, look, w- you know, we need to just say, like, this is regular continuity. And it's actually, it became more popular more recently when Ultimate Continuity came out, because that was, that was a more standard parallel universe, which people could really, that, w- that they would have to signify which w- universe they were talking about. So the Ultimate Universe, the regular Marvel Universe, or 616, and now the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Basically, any, anything which is ongoing... And not just uh, a series of films like, say, Spider-Man. Okay, so, Black Widow. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. I don't give everything. Look, you can't pull me out of this right now. Natasha. Barton's been compromised. Let me put you on hold. I was amazed that they actually managed to bring out a character here because she she comes off as so uh, just sort of just there in in Iron Man 2 Uh, I think it it really started to happen um, when she was trying to apprehend Banner and they were in the hut together and he slammed his hand down on, on the table and she was afraid yeah and I thought We've seen how badass uh, Black Widow is already. What has she been told about this man that makes her so afraid of him? And that immediately characterised her. It shows how resourceful she is, when how she handles Loki. How she yes. extracts information from him without him even knowing it. That's a fantastic scene, because it's a dual manipulation. And it, like, it, the fact set it up earlier. Yeah. yeah. When we're introduced to Black Widow, where she is at the point... She's doing exactly the same thing. Isn't yeah. it? And I fell for it. I me too. Yeah. For it. Me. <laughs> it's because Loki's being so incredibly horrible to her that you just you're, immediately your sympathies start going with her and you're not thinking, this is an angle, this is an angle. Also, Scarlett Johansson's face in that scene really sells it. Because mm, when yeah. Loki's laying into her, like, re- like you know, the Quim line, um, 
which went over most Americans' heads, but for British people, it's like, what? Um, how uh, there was a little cost? bit of a ripple in the audience when he said that. I was like, whoa, can, can whoa, say that? whoa. <laughs> but, Several um, Chaucerians yeah. fainted. Yeah, uh, Scarlett Johansson just looked genuinely like, what the hell is this guy? He mm. looks like he's a monster. But then, you know, two seconds later, she returns to her, you know, badass self. Um and I really like how um like her skills are consistent all the way through the movie. Yeah. She's able to take out human opponents like it's nothing. Mm. Like that room full of soldiers when he's, she's on the chair, she just takes out everyone. But yeah. against the Hulk, she has <laughs> no hope whatsoever. And I like that they say, right, these people have different levels of power. Mm. They have, there's a hierarchy. She even the, the pulling out of the gun. I was like, "What's she going to do with that gun?" But she uses it to blow a steam vent. It's a tool at that point. She knows there's no point shooting him. Which for some reason, the military that have been chasing him in the Incredible Hulk didn't know. Yeah, bullets don't work. Or mm. the aeroplane pilot. Oh, that was hilarious. I think he was trying to distract the Hulk, though. That, no, he, I, he I think he knew that. That he wasn't going to end well. He mm. didn't know how far the Hulk could jump. That scene was I'm more so on the Hulk in a bit, but yeah, yeah. That, that, it didn't go blurry. Okay, so Black Widow's partner Hawkeye. I think I was actually kind of blindsided by the fact that he went over to Loki's side yeah. so quickly, and I was like, "Whoa, hang on a second. I thought he was going to be, you know, our point of humanity throughout most of the film. Like the sort of that this is the regular guy up against these gods." But, no. Yeah, I was borderline angry when he switched, and it's just like, "No, I'll go with it," but. <laughs> But it was really neat the way that Loki kind of didn't... He didn't make them all go sort of evil 24 hours. Ha ha ha, now I am it's evil. More, it was more, more of a twist thing of, of, like, your desires. Yes, changing their priorities and allegiances, but I keeping mean, the general personality the same. One thing you got to see with Hawkeye going against them is how resourceful and tactical he is himself. Mm. I mean, he managed to take out... Uh, one of the helicarrier's main engines with one yeah. arrow, well placed. And uh, yeah, the most, I mean, Loki doesn't know all that much about the helicarrier. Almost no. all of that battle plan must have come from Hawkeye. So it's like, you know, if this guy is up against you, you've got to worry. And I, I love to get his weapon. Yeah. The bow and the arrows, how he, contr- he t- switches. It's all arrowheads are in the bottom, mm. and he uses the sticks to choose which arrowhead to use next. <laughs> One point, when, when, you know when he jumps over the building using the grappling arrow, and yeah. then goes through the window? I thought, wow, the most impressive stunt in Die Hard is one of the smallest stunts in the Avengers. <laughs> well, you know that scene where he, he comes off the building, and he's mm. sort of got his back to the way he's falling, and his shoes up? That's a panel from a comic! Yeah, and it's yeah. just I see that I saw that on screen and went, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> see, um, Hawkeye's one of Lyra's favourites, and I think she was a little bit taken aback by the fact that, like I said, he was he was on the other side to begin with. But that not only serves the narrative purpose of making you worry about Hawkeye, but it makes you care about what the other side are doing rather than them just being faceless goons coming in to be cannon fodder for the Avengers. I mean, if you think things might have gone. Or different if he hasn't taken Hawkeye, because Hawkeye supplied Loki with so many things, including a mm. team to infiltrate the helicarrier. Um, I really like how they give 
Hawkeye and uh, Black Widow a history as well. Yes. Um, The idea behind Black Widow being like um, this really shadowy agent in the past who um, I think they uh, Loki makes reference to the fact that she's like burned down hospitals and like killed people. And that Hawkeye kind of, um, I don't know because it's never explained exactly what went down, but Hawkeye was sent to kill her made a different call and now she's uh, as she she's says trying to scrub the red scrub off her the red out of her ledger ledger that's it yeah um, actually yeah the, the characters of Hawkeye and uh, Black Widow have been intrinsically linked in the Iron Man well it started off in the Iron Man comics since mm. pretty much day one if you remember the, the, the really ropey cartoon segment that I played for you before that was like the first time um, they appeared she was you know putting him under a, a hypnotic spell and he was kind of attached to her. And if you've been following Earth's Mightiest Heroes, there's this constant state of him trying to bring her in, her basically being a double agent and having to keep him at bay without harming him. It's, it's, it's a really... It's a symbiotic relationship between the two of them, and I'm really glad they didn't have one but not the other in the film. Would have been a wasted opportunity. So actually, yeah, on to Loki. It's an impressive cage. Not built, I think, for me. Built for something a lot stronger than you. Oh, I've heard. A mindless beast. Makes play he's still a man. How desperate are you? You call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill cause it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. It burns you to have come so close. To have the Tesseract, to have power, unlimited power. And for what? A warm light for all mankind to share. And then to be reminded what real power is. Well, let me know if real power wants a magazine or something. I really like Tom Hiddleston in this. Mm, yeah, um, excellent. I really like. I really like how they've evolved him onwards from the uh, four movie. Um, he is a lot less forgivable in this movie. I feel like he's lost it a bit in this yeah. film. Um, I don't know what happened to him. Um, I don't know what Thanos did to him. It suggested that they actually hurt him at one point, um, uh, Thanos's uh, lackeys. I really like how they establish how powerful he is as well. Because um, in Thor, you don't really get a sense of it, because he's always fighting Thor, who's kind of equal. So you're just like, oh, he's just a regular guy. But in that first scene, he takes out a whole bunch of guys and they're firing bullets at him and they're just pinging off of him um it's only really when he faces the big green giant that he uh <laughs> <laughs> more on that later more on that later uh, yeah we'll talk about that during Hulk, maybe yeah. not that powerful um <laughs> i really like how he gets to fight everyone as well like that captain america has a go mm. even though he feels a little bit outmatched in that fight Iron Man just threatens him, doesn't he, really? I, I, I was thinking back, he doesn't actually fight Iron Man. Iron Man just gets every weapon he has in his suit and uh, 
points it in his direction, and Loki's like, yeah. okay, no thank you. Although it's revealed later that that's a deliberate ploy on his part. Yeah, no, it's, he's, he's playing Patsy, he's trying to be brought in. Uh, dear, you know what, I think Tom Hiddleston is the villain that all future Marvel villains will be judged by. You know, he's the yardstick. He, they have to measure to that level because mm. he just he's just really makes Loki just you you love and hate him at the same time. Mm. He he's an it's is an absolute joy to watch be Loki because he gets the manipulativeness of him mm. and 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 that slight crazy edge to him in this movie. Yeah. But he also believes himself to be righteous and deserving of this uh, this conquest. The superiority complex, which is sort of like his major Achilles heel, where he underestimates everybody around him. Mm. I really love his scenes with uh, Chris Hemsworth as well. Mm-hmm. Um, every time uh, they meet each other, uh, yeah. Thor is desperately trying to get him to join him again. Like, mm. he doesn't give up on him. Yeah, even, come back even home. towards yeah. the end. It's just like, come on, brother, let's let's end this. Let's be brothers again. It? He killed sixty people. He's adopted. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think this is? Shakespeare in the park? <laughs> so many quotable lines in this thing that are going to end up being up there with. Uh, let's face it, this is not the weirdest thing you see me do. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyone low key? Uh, yeah, his spear is worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way he... Uh, we already mentioned about him possessing um, hang on, Hawkeye. Hang on. Is, it a, is it a spear or is it a scepter? Because it's called both at one point. Oh, scepter. It seems to change as well. His yeah. pointy thing. Magic yeah. stick. <laughs> pointy, I like pointy thing. His wand. His pointy wand. That's a gift from Thanos, I take oh. it. Um, yeah. And... Um, yeah, no, I, I think it, it, it kind of come, comes off as slightly MacGuffin-y at some point, because it is used to drive the plot at certain yeah, points. It is a uh, key. Um, he's MacGuffin. And uh, he, there's the scene where um, he's... It kind of acts almost like the one ring at one point, where um, uh, Mark Ruffalo just picks yeah. it up. And he's Without, like, well, just while he's shouting, it's like, put down the scepter, and everyone's got their guns out. And he just looks like, I don't remember picking this up. Mm, yeah. See, that, that to me is one of the few flaws, flaws of the movie. It, I, I take it to mean that the scepter's messing with their heads by that point. Yeah. But it's never really clear whether or not it is. Is it the infinity pointy stick? I have no idea. <laughs> I know what you mean, Neil. Like, uh, there's a little layer of uncertainty as to what, what the, the spear is actually doing in that scene. And uh, also, it's worth mentioning, there is a three-hour cut of this movie in existence. <laughs> um, <laughs> three-hour cut. And uh, maybe that's more clear in that version of the film. But I I felt like I knew what was going on, even if it could have been a little bit clearer. Okay, Pepper. It was really nice to see her just taking off the business suit, just wearing some some cut-offs and a T-shirt, and just relaxing for a change. And with that, the evolution of her relationship with Tony. I want one. I want one too, 12%. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that was a couple's conversation almost. It was a comic yeah. book couple's conversation, but that was a couple's conversation. The term 12% has infiltrated my speech with Sharon right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's that whole thing about the way they're going about back and forth, and he says something, and he goes, you're going to make me pay for that. And she just says, I wouldn't do anything. So was it so crass? Or is like, 
Ooh, yeah, you're paying for that one, mate. Remember that sex you were planning to have ever again? I, I really like the update on their relationship. Mm. And also, it kind of reminds you what Tony's fighting for, what he has to lose at that point in the movie. Um, and they actually call back to that. Uh, during the final events of the movie where yeah, Tony uh, is about to make a sacrifice or what he believes is going to be a sacrifice. Mm. Also, I like how they put in that Pepper calls Phil Colton, Phil, mm. that they've been in contact all this time. Like, he's a genuine friend to them. Interestingly enough, this got me thinking about Iron Man 3. And um, this may sound somewhat upsetting, but I think... To really advance Tony as a character, they're going to have to put uh, Pepper in... Uh, she's going to have to be critically injured or even killed because if she's just put in danger but not really hurt, like she was in the first and second movies, then it's not advancing Tony. Yeah, this is the kind of trouble that they've written themselves into with that. Kind of, yeah, with the relationship aspect of it. You, you run the risk of her basically being the Mary Jane from the Spider-Man mm. movies, which I don't want to be mean about because Josh is here and he likes them. Oh, I no, have, no, be I mean. Have I, I have supreme issues with the fact that Mary Jane doesn't do much more than get kidnapped and scream at the end of the movies. And just throughout the movie, she's quite a good sort of touch point for, for Peter, but at the end, she's just a, a token, a flag, if you will. She's Bella. Yeah. I think what they need to do <clears> in Iron Man 3, I think she needs to be injured badly. And it be Tony's fault. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how they can start to advance that a little bit more. I mean, if, if, have you guys, anyone read Extremis? No. 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 Right. I heartily recommend you read it in advance of watching Iron Man 3. Um, <clears throat> I think I mentioned it briefly before. One of Tony's inventions gets on the black market or gets out there, and a psychopath gets hold of it and, and wreaks havoc, and people are killed as a result of it. So it's very easy to see how they could work Pepper being critically injured into that. And I don't want it to happen at all because I really, really care about Pepper, but not wanting someone to die is is a reason to do it often in, in films. To, to <laughs> Look at Coulson. Yeah, I mean, Coulson. It, it, as a way of of actually affecting great change in people. Because if everything's just like, and then they went home for tea at the end of every film, then it begins to feel bloodless, and it begins to feel like we're not moving forwards at all, and it's just instalments. Um, there has to be stakes. There has to be something. The reason people, one of the many reasons people love The Dark Knight is ultimately that, that Rachel's death comes out of nowhere and genuinely affects Bruce. And she's a character that they didn't just bring, up, you know, bring in for the film and then kill. She's an established character for the whole series so far. so And you expected her to have an arc that went throughout the whole thing. So, uh, ultimately, they could make Iron Man 3 very emotional that way. And I don't um, want it to happen. It's either that or they go further down the demon in the bottle type route. Yeah. 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 The thing is... And I mean, have him drive her away that way. True, true. Also possible, but, you know, it's just the fact that when you write two characters into a rom- romance like that... You, quite often, more than not, they do tend to write themselves into a corner with it because they don't know where to take it next. Mm. And you have to be careful because otherwise you fall into sort of tropes and that's annoying. Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't do to, to let uh, Tony become too comfortable either. 
Um, because if he just goes around, you know, until t- he's in his 60s being all cocky and everything, then it seems like the things he's doing aren't really affecting him that much. And he has made a life-changing decision to become Iron Man, and it needs to actually change his life. What have I to fear? The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Yes. I've met them. Takes us a while to get any traction, I'll give you that one. But let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod, a super soldier, a living legend, who kind of lives up to the legend, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, a couple of master assassins, and you, big fella, you've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan. When they come, and they will, They'll come for you. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Oh, I thought the Beast had wandered off. You're missing the point. There's no throne. There is no version of this where you come out on top. Maybe your army comes, and maybe it's too much for us, but it's all on you. Because if we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. Um, I really like about Iron Man is the way he interacts with certain characters in this film. Um, the two I really want to touch on is Bruce Banner and uh, Steve Rogers. With Bruce Banner, it felt like these two were kind of like lovers, um, <laughs> except they were very, very different. I, I really like that scene where they're in the lab and uh, Tony's like saying, oh, you should come to Stark Tower. Mm. You know, the first few floors are just pure R&D, you'd be in heaven. It's Mm. like these two understand each other, even though they're very different. I really like uh, the relationship between Steve Rogers and Tony because there's that conflict between those characters that you get a feeling that they're two men from two completely different worlds. And Tony is very much like a man who disregards authority and is quite willing to hack S.H.I.E.L.D. security system to... Mm. uh, find out all their dirty secrets whereas Captain America is more keen to just follow orders and uh, do as he's told though he is quite quite capable of doing spying when it he's not just a golden boy he won't just do as he says so that kind of he's very straight I think that's his instinct is to follow orders but Mm. even he couldn't deny that there was something suspicious going on I mean one of the greatest parts of the movie where it sums up like their views is we're not soldiers it's just how much um, Tony is sort of out of his depths once again in this sort of situation that's come about. He's lost people who he's cared about 
and he doesn't know what to do next. A, a really nice bit of acting from Robert G- uh, Danny Jr. there as well. Mm. Like his eyes really sell that scene. Like he's been hurt. Like and um, Captain America's seen loads of people die. Uh, being in World War Two, you know, you've seen many comrades uh, die in your arms and so forth. Where I, I don't think, um, apart from uh, Jensen, Tony's not really had to deal with uh, that kind of pain before. Because Iron Man 2 was so goddamn bloodless. Yep. Yeah. Although I do like how playful he is in that movie where he, 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 he pokes Banner and it shocks him or something. That's so <laughs> funny. With the conflict between Stark and um, Rogers, mm-hmm. um, there's a few things throughout the film and up, especially towards the end. I think it's just after Stan's cameo where there's a little news report saying you know, about how they should have responsibility and who are they and who do they answer to. Um, I'm wondering if they're building way down the line towards a Civil war type thing or if it's just yeah. throwaway references. Quite possibly. They're going to need to build a lot more heroes yeah. into this universe first, but yeah. Yeah, it's still... It's, it's there. It's there to be used if needed. They do plenty of that. They lay groundwork for so many things and do it so well. Yeah. The uh, um, one aspect of the, the uh, Tony and Steve um, conflict is that they're both technically uh, products of Howard Stark. Yep. Yeah. It's, this, I mean, he's this, this kind of, you know, this is the guy my father couldn't shut up about. And it's like, you know, it's kind of like he's a jealous younger brother. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Like, normally in the comic, it's portrayed that Stark is constantly paranoid of the Hulk. Like, he doesn't. Well, he built family. Hulkbuster armor to just, just yeah. to deal with him. And it whereas, work. whereas movie, he's trying to get the message across the band that this is a ble- this can be a blessing in disguise. Mm. Sort of knows that no matter what happens, it seems like the Hulk doesn't actually or kill anybody himself. It's a nice way of showing that Tony now considers the armor to be an extension of himself, and that he's sort of nudging Banner towards accepting the Hulk as an extension of himself. Something alluded to in a very significant line he says later on. Uh, When he says to Steve that the best part of you came out of a bottle and ultimately you weren't a hero until we made you one, that is a patent underlining of the fact that while Tony believes he's pegged everyone, he does not know Steve. Because as we said last week, Steve was a hero to begin with. He had the heart, he had everything. He just needed to be given the ability to do it. There's a scene earlier on with Captain America and Iron Man where Captain America says, ultimately you've done everything for yourself and you've never really had to sacrifice anything. Mm. And so when this scene happens, uh, towards the end of the movie, a nuke is being sent to Manhattan and Iron Man makes the decision that he is going to direct that nuke into the portal in order to take out the alien forces. Mm. Um, And it's said to him... Uh, by the members of his team that this is probably going to be a one-way trip that if he does this he's going to die and he knows that and that scene is really effective because uh, there's a, a moment where Jarvis actually asks whether he wants to call Pepper before he does this um, mm. and it's really heart-wrenching because she doesn't yeah. pick up the phone you just see that uh, phone uh, bib, uh, you know beeping behind her no yeah. oh, god pick it up pick it up for god's sake um, 
And uh, when he is, you know, finally goes through the portal and lets go of the uh, nuke, uh, he kind of just gives up at that point. Um, he just closes his eyes and expects to die, I, I assume. Well, no, he calculates that he's going to die. He knows because he's just got that kind of mind that in space he can survive for pr- pr- approximately one minute. Yeah. Mostly unconscious. And um, so ultimately he doesn't die, but that scene doesn't lose any of its weight because he's, he doesn't. Well, no, he's, he's learned to make the sacrifice. He's, he's actually decided, I can do this and will do this because that's basically what um, Cap accuses him of. Cap basically accuses him of being Kirk. Mm. You know, he pretty... You know, if if Stark had turned around and goes, I don't believe in an Owen Suonaro, you would have thought, Kirk. But he yeah. says, you know, it, basically Cap says, you always find the way around. When they're talking about the wire, you've never laid down on the wire. He goes, I'd rather just cut the wire. Mm. It's always a way around. Yeah, he is Kirk. Nice. Uh, the, uh, the other thing is that ultimately in it, his uh, self-sacrifice mirrors Steve's, that he's doing it for the good of all humanity. It's re- related exactly to the Cosmic Cube. The Cosmic Cube is in fact present for both of their... Um, uh, sacrifices and it levels the playing field with them. It's like they both laid down their lives for everyone else. Um, and that's the thing. Relating back to Civil War and the uh, 616 universe, I'm, I hate using that phrase because I know Marvel's chiefs don't even like it, um, the, but the regular Marvel universe, I don't know if Tony's done anything since 2006 which genuinely redeems him for the things that went on during Civil War. And I've never liked Tony Stark. And watching him in, um, as in the, the regular Tony Stark, and watching him in Ultimate Spider-Man, they've taken every aspect of ADHD out of his character, because that was all in the movie Stark. So they've basically just delivered us this, this suave James Bond Tony Stark, who's always existed in the comics, who is boring as fuck, and is also corrupt. And I'm sick to death of him. And frankly, you were talking about how uh, Nick Fury needs, um, you know, is going to be exchanged for a uh, gender-bending... Uh, Race-bending, Samuel I Jackson. <laughs> I know. You're uh, not letting that uh, go. Never going to let that go. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson for a son. Um, I-, I think we need to just... to atone for all of his well-meaning but a terrible behavior, um, Tony Stark from the regular universe needs to sacrifice himself and then needs to, they need to then end up after a few months going into an alternate dimension and meeting movie Tony Stark, who ends up trapped in regular dimension <laughs> and basically they've just done a switcheroo. Because I, I think that when people who love the movies read regular continuity Iron Man, they're going to go, this guy is so boring and why does everyone hate him? Yeah, the thing is, it's a case of, you know, going into that first movie. I read the comics. I didn't like Tony Stark. I hated him. I wanted him dead, along with Mr. Fantastic. The movies redeemed Tony Stark in a way they haven't done in the comic books. I don't know if he has been redeemed, because I wouldn't. After what he did and the shit he pulled, I'm not interested in him no more. Well, it it made the character fascinating for the first time ever. I I don't know if there's ever been some... I I know he got really drunk in uh, Demon in a Bottle, but there's got to be more to him than that. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, the ADHD and the performance from Robert Downey Jr. makes him really watchable and really likable, even if he is an ass. So, yeah, I, I think they need to do a switcheroo somehow, and I would not be surprised if that happened in the next few years. Because cinematic Tony Stark is going to become the norm.
So Captain America, this was the big one for me that I was worried they would fuck up. Yeah. Because, as I said before, his costume looked a bit stupid in the uh, in static photographs. And um, to me, at least, he had the weakest of the movies and wasn't really shown in a context I could really get with because they had to make him so uncomplicated and straightforward. And also because of Steve's limited power up against the other guys, I was thinking, there is no way Steve can command Thor to do stuff (laughs) without Thor going, I think I know what to do. Thank you, Earthman. How do you think they handled it? I think they actually handled Steve really well. I think he, he fit. He felt like he fit. And I think... That, that I get your concern about Thor. The whole, you know, how does the super soldier measure up against the god or the demigod, you know, whichever you want to call him. Mm. I think it's that fight. It's that fight where he, he just takes the blow from Thor <laughs> and it, you know, it doesn't faze him. Although how his ears weren't ringing, I don't know. Yeah. But... The, you know, the only complaint I have about Steve is that costume. The costume itself was fine. The <laughs> helmet looks stupid. Yeah. And he even took it off. It was like, this is stupid. Take it off. Well, it's weird because but, there's a scene on, there's scenes in the helicarrier where he, he's got it back. It's like a hood. It looks mm. like, like you would in the comic. It, it's folded back. It looks like a hood. But when you see it again, it's a helmet. So it's like, yeah. wait. Well, there's a hood something? with a helmet. Yeah. It's a, hmm. he, he finds mm-hmm. a helmet. He puts it on the top. I don't know. Okay. In the back of my mind, I'm constantly thinking, okay, Coulson has designed this from his hero worship, so it's going to look a bit corny. I picture Coulson sewing this thing. (laughs) (laughs) On the whole, though, it wasn't bad. I still think I prefer the one from the first movie because that was much more functional. It looked more like a uniform. Yeah. Yeah. This one, um, this one looked like they were absolutely trying to get to the, the Saturday morning cartoon depiction of Hap Cap. We keep saying that, but the, he was never in any Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> well, he cropped up occasionally in Spider-Man and X-Men. That's true. He guessed it yeah. a few times. Oh, actually, speaking of ca- characters who have integrated their way from cartoons into uh, regular continuity, X-23 was in X-Men Evolution, the fairly rubbishy X-Men show, and is now in regular continuity and yeah. video games. But, but on the whole, Steve, Steve's handled pretty well, and he comes across as how he should in this. He comes across as the natural leader. Mm. Let's face it, when he's giving out the assignments and he just goes, Hulk, wait a beat, smash. Yes. Give- Agreed. I, I have to say, uh, while we're on that moment, that's one of my favourite scenes in the movie, because yeah. in that moment you realise, right, it totally makes sense why Captain America is the leader, because he understands tactics, he has immediate grasp on the situation, and he's also really good at saying, right, you're really good at this, so I'm going to assign you this job role. You're really good at this, I'm going to assign you this job role. It's understanding what your team is capable of and what role they're going to be most effective at that makes him a great leader. Um, and, and there are a couple of other scenes, like when he's talking to the policeman during the Manhattan battle, <laughs> where he says, right, can, we need, you know, people, uh, you know, three blocks black. That's we a need, direct quote. Yeah. <laughs> we no, need, you I know, people. The exact <laughs> it's, uh, you need people in this building over here, this building over here, and this building over here. Get them down to the basement or the subway, and we need a perimeter three, mo- three blocks back. Why should we listen to you? Proceed to arse kicking. Yeah. And then, okay, and then he shouts, <laughs> yes. Agreed. Emphasis on the captain over the America. Yeah, indeed. But um, I think the other thing is, 
uh, uh, like Josh was saying, he's got all these traits, but the other thing is, there's no ego. Yeah. There's no, no ego with him at all. It's not about him. He has removed himself from the self, as I said last week. He's all about other people. I also really like the fight choreography with him. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is. I, I think Joss Whedon hired somebody really talented for this film. Because he's not well known for his being able to choreograph a fight. Um, but, and make it look Yeah, real. most of the time it was a TV budget. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and but Serenity. all the vampires had kung fu skills. All of them! <laughs> <laughs> he even um, jokes about that. Jeez. But, uh, oh, but on a side note, on the strength of this movie, I have ordered Buffy Series 6, which I'm told by Sharon is the, one of the really strongest series. So rather than starting from the beginning, I've actually seen the first three series on and off. Over the Just stay three. away from five. It will make you want to slit your wrists. It, which one's the one with Riley? Uh, Riley four. is three or four. Okay, so but which one's five? Dawn? Dawn. Okay, Born so mummy dying. I'm going to watch six. I'm going to watch seven. If it really moves me, I'm going to go back and start again. But um, but those that's the telling point. So you know, watch this space, folks. And there's the season eight comics for that as well. Of course, you have the continuation. Yeah, can fight choreography. I really like how the camera isn't always really close in on the action like it is in a lot of movies it actually steps back a bit and shows you what's going on i really like the conflict between loki and captain america where he's you know it it feels like he's had a lot of training it's not like um black widow where she's flipping about all over the place it's really like um it's almost like um boxing uh mixed with some kind of jujitsu or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Bit, I, I, think, like I think there's a fair bit of almost wrestling in it as well. Not the, 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 you know, the, the WWE stuff, but the proper wrestling grapples and stuff. There's a bit, also, there's bits of the, the other topness where he dropped kicks the table, which was, was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is hard. You can't not say superlatives. I know it's 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 really tough for me as well because I want to say it's just fantastic. It's well, it's in my blood to just say that. But but his fights and Josh, Josh is right. The, the the fights in this are. Joss refuses to Michael Bay it. Yeah. Thank you, thank you so much. And nowhere is that proved better than in those end fights. Like there's a lot of. I don't know how to describe it. You know, you see Black Widow going along doing one thing and then Tony sort of helps her out and then it follows Tony and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Oh, sorry. While, while we're on the like fight in the city, I have to talk about one uh, shot um, in this movie, which I think is an absolutely fantastic piece of filmmaking. Sure. It's this long shot where it follows Iron Man Iron Man goes to the ground, fights with Captain America, then he flies up to Hawkeye, and fuck, why is there a bloody fire on it? <laughs> it's atmospheric. It sounds like the city's on fire behind you. It's cool. Okay, I'll start again. <laughs> flies up to Hawkeye. City. Everything's going on all the time. Um, right. I think I left. <laughs> There's this great uh, shot in the movie, this action movie shot, where it uh, it's a long panning shot where it follows Iron Man. Iron Man's taking out people in the sky. Then he goes to the ground. He helps uh, Captain America fight some people on the ground. Then it follows him up 
uh, towards Hawkeye. Then we get to see Hawkeye fight some people. Then Hawkeye shoots an arrow, and then we follow that arrow all the way to Hulk and Thor fighting on top of a Le- uh, Leviathan or eel, whatever the hell that thing was. Um, <laughs> but it's just a really great moment of filmmaking, just that yeah, long yeah. panning shot. I, I'm sure it wasn't done in one take. There's probably some clever editing going on there, but and it was it just was really like impressive. CGI, but yes, no, it was... I mean, it was a real sense of the scale and working as a team. Yeah. Well, I said to the, the people I saw it with, that is the complete antithesis of most of Transformers. Yes. It's a big action sequence. You've got buildings exploding. There's people fighting everywhere, but you know who's who, where they are, what they're doing. You don't give a shit. It's just spectacle. Yeah. And, and of course, it just leads into the probably my favourite joke of the entire movie, which is hardly explained <laughs> because this is an audio and it's a visual gag. But, uh, you know, as Josh said, it goes to Thor and Hulk fighting on the little Leviathan and they sort of work in this odd tandem together to bring it down. It crashes down through, uh, I think it's Grand, Grand Central, Central Station. Station yes. and, the Ultimates. and it's just there, there's this beat and then Hulk just does the punches punch. It's awesome! <laughs> it's like a twitch sucker punch. He's just like... Can't do anything with rage. Punch. <laughs> you see, I took it as like a bro moment. Like that yeah. was actually Hulk trying to express some sympathy towards Thor, but he underestimated how powerful. No, no, that I think was. that was a Hulk strongest. Poof. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it was kind of a. Oh yeah, remember when we fought before? That wasn't really resolved properly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, just so you know, Hulk is the strongest, y'all. Two showings. Biggest laugh went to that one. Nice. <laughs> Steve seems really sad throughout a lot of the film. Yeah. I mean, you get the feeling of of he is a fish out of water. I mean, even when they're making light of it where he doesn't get these references and phrases. Mm. I mean, he's... And when he finally finds one thing he does get, he latches on to, oh, I get that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's worth mentioning that some of the scenes that were cut out of the three-hour version of the film are actually scenes of Captain America on his own uh, dealing with being in the modern world. I do like, though, at the end, he gets another motorbike. Yeah. That made me smile. I don't know why. It's There goes Banner and Tony to continue their bromance in their sports car. And there goes Cap on his motorbike. And he looks happy. He's always off to see America. And uh, I'm actually really genuinely interested in what they're going to do with the character now. I I knew I would be. Basically, it's like, get the World War II stuff out of the way. We all know where Cap comes from now. Let's look at him and where he grows. Because he has got huge scope to actually... To, to grow as a person in a way that he never really got to do as this kid who always wanted to be a soldier and then he was a soldier and then he was a superhero and now he's a superhero in the future and now what? Yeah. And the what is the interesting bit. Better villain though, please. Like I yeah, said. more than the Red Skull. When, actually, we mentioned Thanos here. When Thanos turned around, I was like, it's the Red Skull because I've been expecting... Oh, hang on, that's not the Red Skull. But strangely enough, my, I, because it was 3D, it was talk, I didn't know who the hell it was. I still don't <laughs> actually know who the hell Thanos is. Oh, but uh, my housemate went, it's Red Skull. I went, oh, okay. And then I heard the Red Roof things, it's Thanos. I'm like, who the hell's Thanos? So I had to look it uh, up. Thanos, well, the Mad go. Titan. The Mad Titan. <laughs> nope, not Red Any Comics. One oh one. Okay, right, yeah, no, um, just for the... Actually, this is worth explaining to the folks at home, very briefly. 
he's a character who's appeared in things like Fantastic Four and uh, Infinity Silver Gauntlet Surfer. and Silver Surfer. Yeah, uh, and he's a sort of a way out there in the middle of space kind of creaturey thing uh, from a planet connected with the Skrulls, but not actually of the Skrulls. So he, by the way, the, the Skrulls are the Chituri. Yeah. They called that in the Ultimates. Everywhere else in 616, they're called the Skrulls. They have the ability to shapeshift, but for some reason in this movie, they didn't use it because they were just going for the invasion, not infiltration. Um, Thanos, it would appear, right now has allied himself with the Skrulls. He is probably going to be leading an even bigger army with huge amounts of cosmic power on the Earth in, uh, in part two. But uh, yeah, well, dude's crazy and obsessed with death. Literally, death incarnate. Well, they've said for part two that they want to tell a smaller story, which I kind of like the idea of, something a bit different. We've had the big blowout, have a yeah. smaller story, a more character-driven piece, and then go for another big blowout. Anything. I could, fr- frankly, it could just be Steve having a chat with all the other Avengers around a coffee table, and I would pay $8 to see that thing. See, I, I want I want some more adventures because I, I I've read adventure stories where it's not this group or this one or two from this group, and mm. there's some interesting characters that are adventures. Tiger, Boxface, Squirrel Girl. <laughs> no, Spider Woman. <coughs> Mind you, she has a similar arc to Black Widow sometimes, depending on how she's written. Luke, Luke Cage. I want to see a goddamn Luke Cage movie. Yeah, Luke Cage and Iron Fist would be fantastic. I'd love to see Vision somehow yes. work his way into it. Although he's tied up with Hank Pym. Yeah, Ant-Man. Um, yeah. Ant-Man and Wasp would make perfect new characters for this next one. Either Ant-Man and Wasp or Wonder. Especially and- how they did Wasp in... I don't know, this is going to shock Alex. In Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I like how they did Wasp in Ant-Man. <laughs> I am so shocked! <laughs> I suspect they wouldn't be able to do Scarlet Witch because of the whole X-Men yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, That's a whole nother path. I think they're going to have to wait until Fox goes, ah, you can have them back. We're not going to make any money from this series, are we? <laughs> so sometime, never, like Spidey. Because, come on, Avengers with Spidey would be awesome. You know it. I, I think that Fox and Sony are going to hold on to those two properties for a long time. It would appear that um, Universal are, are fine with the Hulk interacting with them. I mean, they actually distributed Incredible Hulk as well. So, so, well, this is the first one that was actually distributed by Disney, so... Yeah. Uh, and Paramount did the the other ones in the series, so it's. I think Disney are going to be very happy with their investment at this point. This is going. This is going to make over a billion now. I think. I said seven hundred million last uh, last week. I think you know. I'm feeling with, confident now. I'm, I'm feeling confident. Yeah. <laughs> Especially considering I made the bet with you and I went to it twice. And I'm not saying that Batman's not going to also make a billion, but uh, but yeah, this. I mean, the first the. the, the Dark Knight made a billion, so why wouldn't the second? Third. It feels like everyone just sort of forgets about Batman Begins and starts <laughs> yeah. Dark Knight. You know? Yeah, because that they're was... two radically different movies. They are kind of different, aren't they? For a start, I mean, it never really feels like, oh, you know what? We've got like ten Batman podcasts to discuss this in, so we'll do that then. But okay. that's the other thing, the secret to these. Tonally, they're all so close and it works. You feel this universe is the same universe. Slightly less so with The Incredible Hulk because the constantly changing banner. I mean, Lyra kept saying, is that Bruce Banner? Is that Bruce Banner? It's like, no, 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 yes. Saving it, the banner. Saving it for Banner. Hold on. And they have been layering stuff in all over the place. Mm. Um, we did mention on the Thor podcast about the Infinity Gauntlet being in the yes. room. That could definitely tie in with Thanos. Yeah, and of course Thor too. Yeah. 
Uh, there's a Thor 2, Captain America 2, Iron Man 3 on the way. Still no word on Incredible Hulk. They might just keep him as an accompanying character rather than paying for the movie and then... Well, stick- from what I've read, yes, at the minute, that's the way yeah. it's going. But they, yeah. I said it's because it Mark Ruffalo is signed for 6. Oh, so good. Happy. Good. There was also good. talk relatively recently of a new TV series as well. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> whether that will happen or not <laughs> see, I'm, I, actually the one I'm more interested in now is the Black Widow one That would I want to see a Black Widow TV up. series? no movie movie? Oh. I want to see more, more a... Black Widow not just because I want one but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we all want to see more Black Widow but I, I want to see more Widow, about that okay. yeah yeah, I, yeah, cause yeah I, I'm sorry I think yeah. my personal opinion is I think Hawkeye is probably the one Avengers that didn't get much well, a lot of the movie, he was not really himself. Yeah. But yeah, he could definitely be explored more later. Yeah, no, I'd watch that movie most definitely. Wait, Thor. Okay, problem with Thor. The okay. throwaway excuse, well, throwaway explanation of how he came back. Okay. That bugged me. What did they say? It's how much, what was it? How much dark matter dark did father have to summon up to conjure you here? Is it dark matter or dark magic? Dark matter, I think. It would have to be dark matter, yeah. No, yeah, dark magic wouldn't just send you a question. Well, they were yeah. in the dark matter research lab or whatever as well, which... It was, it's kind of a deus ex machina when Thor turns up. Quite literally, <laughs> yeah. appropriate. <laughs> and it and it just that is just like I I was really interested to see how Thor comes back because the way it feels at the end of the Thor movie, it feels like he's cut off, he can't come back, yeah. and it's all of a sudden, oh yeah, here he is. I well, that's a bit a bit cheap for <laughs> this. That's just well, throw away. I forgave it. I'm assuming yeah. that Heimdall saw what was going on and said, and they were like, right, we got to move. Loki's starting some shit down on, uh, what is it? Midgard? Midgard, yeah. Down on Midgard. We've got to, we've we got to get someone down. The, we can send one guy with this much dark matter. It's got to be Thor because he has the emotional link. He's most likely to be able to bring Loki back or possibly kill him. Don't uh, I mean, so, get me wrong, it doesn't break the movie for me and I don't want the movie down or anything. It just felt, oh, that, just feels a bit cheap you know everyone else has got this and it's just a case of you know they've captured Loki they're on the flight back the lightning there's a lightning happens and he goes you know what's the matter are you afraid of a little lightning no I'm afraid of what comes next oh yes I I forgave it because I saw it as a way of keeping the movie going because Mm. I was actually worried how they were going to handle for um, in this movie because I didn't want them to spend like 15 minutes explaining why four is there? Yeah. Like, like they have um, Jane, uh, like build a machine to uh, to Asgard and spend fifteen minutes explaining why uh, four suddenly showed up on Earth. Mm. Just get it over with in like five seconds, so we can get on with the main story. He's here. Yeah, let's enjoy him. Uh, as opposed to, they'd also have had to hire Anthony Hopkins, Idris Elba, and, and Natalie Portman again. Well, if they'd, uh, if they'd been writing, I think they were writing this at the same time as Thor was shooting, they could have just got them to do it then. Uh, it, like I said, it doesn't break the movie. It's, it's just like you've given everyone else a good build-up, and then all of a sudden, here's Thor. 
Yeah. It's like everyone's got build up and an introduction, then it's here's Thor. I'm okay. I, I will give you that. I'll also give you that Thor of the main Thor seems to get kind of short shrift in terms of characterization. There are some quite powerful lines, especially delivered between him and Loki, which are the, the basis for most of his arc. Um, my favourite one of his lines is, uh, I'm misquoting here, in my youth I courted war. And it's this notion that you've only just grown up. Yeah. And he is literally, now he's a man, but just these events that happened only like, less than a year ago to him now um, have completely transformed him. And he does seem like an older, wiser man. He does. He, he, the character growth is still there, which I do like. Don't get me wrong. It's it's just like I said. It's just the here's Thor, but everything else for Thor just as works. if by magic Thor appears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as if by me. Yeah. But well, it, it's still it's still. He could, a scientist with clipboard enters, explains dark matter. <laughs> I really Odin like poops dark matter. <laughs> Nibbler. He is Nibbler, basically. Um, um, I, re- I really like how, um, like with Loki, you get a sense of how powerful Thor is in this movie. Because in the original Thor, because he's fighting Asgardians and Frost Giants, you don't get a sense of like comparatively how powerful he is mm. compared to like normal people. Um, but when you have that fight with Iron Man, and mm. Iron Man's kind of getting his ass kicked... Uh, towards I, the end of that fight. I mean, he's able to knock him back, but Thor just gets right back up and <laughs> chucks his hammer at him. Uh-oh, bad idea. He likes that hammer. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing also is, they just... That, that, if the end of that fight, it's a bit like, hey, what did... It just stops. <laughs> you know, dong. It was enough to make one kid go, awesome. <laughs> it was awesome, but... <laughs> but think about it logically. Why did he stop? Oh, uh, I think... Is it just Cap who just says, are we done here? Yeah. Yeah. But that's before Thor brings the hammer down. No, it's after the. Oh, it's after. Because I, I, I love how Cap uses it, the shield to go sort of smack him about the head. Like, you know, like a, in a slightly annoyed parent clips you around the back of the head. That's what Cap uses the shield for. Pings it off Thor and Iron Man's head. I, it's, yeah, butting the two kids, two angry arguing kids' heads together. I suppose it's a good way of, of just showing that, that they've all kind of twigged that none of them means the others any mortal harm. And it's like, look, we just go talk about this and they all become a bit more mature. Yeah. I think but, I mean, I, but Steve brings that about because ultimately Thor and Tony both suffer from immaturity at times. Yeah. But other than that, I love Thor. I, I even like that costume because it's slightly different to the one that was in the movie, wasn't it? It's a little bit more Fabio. It is a little <laughs> bit. And I love it when he called him Point Break. I was the only person who laughed at that. Oh, no, I laughed at that. Well, that no offence, Point Break. You yeah. got a mean twig. <laughs> but I did, I, and the magic cape. Yeah, the one that shrinks and extends whenever he needs it to. You know, I think it just turns into shoulder pads when he's inside. But there's, uh, there's so much going on with Thor that I did enjoy the whole... There's sort of a regret there because it's he, he sort of carries the weight that it's his fault that Loki's there and mm. doing this. It's not that things in the the events in the film thought could have gone differently had he mm-hmm. acted differently. There's kind of a problem that I have now that I, somebody mentioned it to me, which was Thor. If you think about it, kind of breaks a lot of the Marvel universe. Yeah, um, I think there's a line in this where Cap says something like, "There's only one God." Yeah. And like, well, no, you've met two, <laughs> and everybody else in the universe kind of just goes on with their day, knowing that these two gods exist, but 
Um, saying that they're I, gods. They're, they're not <laughs> gods. They were worshipped as gods yeah. by people who were unable to understand the difference between gods, real gods, and um, people who are exceptionally powerful. Yeah. I mean, Iron Man would have been worshipped as a god if he went back there. See, you see if I was at all cynical in any way, shape or form, which I'm not, uh, I would have sworn that line was just a throwaway thing to, you know, maybe keep American Christians happy. Okay. Well, it kind of makes sense for that character. He was born in the... You know what I mean. Like, at that time, basically everyone was religious, apart from a few people. It's kind of just accepted that you're Christian, deal with it. I did, I did like. I did like the line. Though. The yeah, line. Stack of yeah. foot poles to not touch that with. <laughs> the line is funny though. Even if, in taking with my cynicism, the line is so funny. There's only God, one, one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Right. So any more on Thor and meow meow over the Bifrost. He doesn't okay. have much of an arc in this film. That's the thing. I no. really like him. The thing is, because you've said, don't use uh, superlatives. Because um, I'm tempted to say he's really, you know, he's just really good in this film. He he doesn't he doesn't change or evolve in this film because all of that stuff happened in four. In one, yeah. But well, you still, like, I, I appreciated him being there all the same. I think he got a bit more sociable in this film. He was able to talk to regular people a bit more than because he's only really known Jane and her friends. Yeah. I mean, you do get to see a sort of his opinion of humans though a bit more because. The last time he was on Earth, he only met, like, good, wholesome people. Mm. And when he's come back, he's, like, realised just how bad humans can be. Yeah. He does actually, he, um, he does sort of sneer at the uh, them when they're arguing so much. He's like, you petty people. Yeah. A higher form of war. Yeah. Now, that's a scary line. Yeah. <laughs> Ant. Boot. <laughs> nice. Let me know if Power wants a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, speaking of real power... What does Fury want me to do, swallow it? He wants you to find it. It's been taken. It emits a gamma signature that's too weak for us to trace. There's no one that knows gamma radiation like you do. If there was, that's where I'd be. So Fury isn't after the monster? Not that he's told me. Then he tells you everything. Talk to Fury. He needs you on this. He needs me in a cage. No one's gonna put you in a cage. Stop lying to me! I'm sorry. That was me. I just wanted to see what you do. Okay, now Sharon said as she came out of the uh, cinema, best Hulk ever. And I'd like to know why. So, who wants to go on Hulk? Me, me, please. Let Josh okay, go. Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll let Josh go on Hulk. Um, 
first of all, Josh, l- smash. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to talk about Banner before we talk about Hulk. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo is a really um, good Bruce Banner. Um, because uh, part of the reason why is because I he really sells me on the idea of him being a scientist. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about his mannerisms, but he's constantly observing everyone and um, just the way he talks to people. Um, and it's a really, as you said earlier, it's a really subtle performance. He's not mm. as big uh, as uh, Tony Stark's character, but he still commands the screen yep. and. Uh, it's all in his face, I find. It's it's just his his facial expressions really draw you in, and you get the sense of there's something uh, damaged there. And he's all and he's wearing clothes. I don't know if anyone noticed, but he's wearing clothes that are too big for him. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. As if like just in case, uh, I don't want anyone to see my whole penis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that that side of it was great. But also the Hulk. Um, this is the best realization of the Hulk um, in any cinematic outing. Nice. Part in due gotcha. because I think they went full on performance capture with the Hulk in certain scenes. Obviously, they couldn't do it when he's bounding around the city, <laughs> smashing spaceships, and you know, and all they that. Mark Ruffalo loose in Central Park. And <laughs> <laughs> he's jumping around, but there are scenes where, um, especially the scene with Loki, where he's moving around. He has like this um, gorilla-like quality to the yeah, way yes. he moves, and. It, it reminded just me of really Kong. sells you on the power and the best uh, bestial quality of the Hulk, mm. um, and his face looks really good. I know that sounds like a weird thing to no, no, no it does. On, but his it face does. looks great. You get the, you get the real um, statement that this is Bruce Banner. His face doesn't just automatically disappear when he becomes the Hulk. It just yeah. becomes this like ape, more ape-like, sicker version of him. Mm. Yeah, uh, and. You ready for this? I love the Hulk in this. I know he's CGI. I loved it. It was Yay! perfect. He moves. Victory! He moves so naturally as well. The yeah. movements, the, whether it is the, the the heroic leaping about the bit or the motion captain, and and jo- Josh is right. The face sells. The, they got the face right, and everything else just seemed to follow. Again, tying it up with the gorilla gives us a focus point for something that actually exists in nature. Yes, and, much, and once you can connect to those sort of movements, it becomes natural, and you mm. just get it. Even when he... Because when, I quote the line earlier, you know, Hulk, smash. But his movements through that are so fluid and so yeah. powerful. It's, mm. it's, a, it's an absolute joy to watch the Hulk in this movie. It feels like the Hulk himself is evolving as his banner. Yes, yeah. it's, so it's, it's like it's like what um, me and Neil said in the Incredible Hulk review. Mm-hmm. The more Banner accepts the Hulk, the more um, yeah. intelligent and aware the Hulk is. We're on the road to Smart Hulk. It's going to be a long road, but yeah. I don't know because let's face it. You want to know my secret? I'm always angry. Yeah, <sighs> that got like a a gasp. Oh, yeah. that was a, that was an excellent entry. Everybody's laughing when he comes puttering in on this. Just yeah, like, <laughs> just like, oh, out of nowhere. It's then, not even. Uh, it's it's not even. It's the first time you've ever seen him transform into Hulk and just go, vroom, yeah. and now he's Hulk. It, we've already seen fifty times him going. Rrr, rrr, rrr. So it well, was a really, get that in this movie. Every time, yeah. 
every other time you've seen him trying to stop it, hold it back, this is the first time he just lets it go. The closest is, you could almost imagine it happening at the end of Incredible Hulk when he, he falls out of the helicopter, goes, oh, yeah. shh. And then, but then it's all underground, so we don't actually see that happening. But, but the, yeah. other, the other smart thing is they sort of set it up at the end of Incredible Hulk, where you focus mm-hmm. in on Norton's yes. face, and you see the green yeah. eyes, yeah. and that pays into this one, where you, cause totally. they are definitely painting it. That he, I don't want to say he's more in control, but the Hulk isn't just a wild force anymore, especially at the end fight. He is focused, because let's face it, he just smacks that goddamn Leviathan, and it is... It Stop. is a geek asm moment. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the power of the Hulk come into play, and it's just, you know, wow, how strong is the Hulk? But you, then it cuts to the others, and they work as a team. And Hang on, it's just wow. Is that a superlative? I think it was. I think, I think it was. Yeah. Okay, just one embarrassing thing. I like showgirls. Okay. Oh, God, Jesus, oh, don't go back. Oh, <laughs> oh, I feel ill. Too much. <laughs> Carl McLaughlin in the swimming pool. Yeah. See, see, I'm just banking. I'm, I'm paying it forward there. I, I think I'm covered for at least three superlatives now. Okay, but so just bring me the mind rubbers. <laughs> okay. Um, um, if we go back to um, Bruce Banner for a second, yeah. I mean, one thing that I love in the whole like everybody arguing scene is when he brings up the fact that he did try to kill himself. Mm, like, yes. Which refers to the earlier uh, deleted um, scene. Deleted in, scene. Yeah. I, mean, I love that. That was, he, and he so says that was a low. Uh, that's a low moment for me. Like he, it's it. Like that was that when I was at my very worst. And that's the only the way, way to convey that to uh, a PG thirteen audience without going too over the top. You make it part of a performance, not an actual scene. And I think that's I mean, one of the few cases where you can actually say that tell don't show work. Yeah. You know, yeah. usually it has to be the other way around. But this time, just the way it's delivered in the right moment. It works so yeah. well. Uh, what? We need to mention the scene where Hulk puts the smack down on, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. on, on Loki. Stop. You need God. Yep. <laughs> Everyone was laughing so much, no one heard what he said there. I was like, hang on, and I, I, just, I just caught it. But yeah, it's mainly due to the fact that Tom Hiddleston afterwards goes... It just shows how much the Hulk doesn't care who you are. He will pick you up and whack you about like you're a toy. I think the the app description would be, the Hulk opened up a can of whoop-ass on Loki. The... You're lucky you're covered for three superlatives. The... (laughs) uh, But, you know, that was to show this guy is the most powerful being, physically at least, in the Marvel Universe. And uh, yeah, nothing else comes close. I mean, Thor comes close. That's about it. Um, well, there's another character that comes in World Century? War. Century. Yeah, I'd but argue the Silver a... Surfer could put the smack yeah. down on the Hulk. Uh, um, physically? Well, not okay. Uh, Maybe not more. in a fist Ooh, fight, but from a distance. This <laughs> brings me to an idea I had in the shower the other day. Um, <laughs> 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 really good sentences started that way. <laughs> you hey, what's this? What about a podcast where we basically have like five or six prearranged smackdowns where we, we, but we have the fights like preordained of who's going against who and we prepare our workings out, so, you know, privately and separately and then we basically just go, right, who wins in a fight between 
Justice League and Avengers, for example. Now, I know Justice League would actually win because the odds are unfortunately stacked in their favour, so I'd actually go for a Marvel, like, pick seven Marvel characters instead of just the Avengers because they've got too many straight-out humans there. But I think that would make quite an interesting uh, podcast. Fantasy character Smackdown. Basically, yeah. Fantasy yeah. character Smackdown. I was trying to avoid the, the, the horrible, hideous, factually inaccurate show that I think it's on Bravo. Was it Deadliest Fucking Warrior? Oh, no, that's bullshit. I was going for oh, Celebrity Deathmatch. <laughs> they had that Spartan versus Ninja at one what? point, and I was just thinking, a ninja would never engage a Spartan in one-on-one it's, it's combat. It's all this science bullshit about the fact, oh, they've got this one. Yeah, it's weapons, tactics. There's more to winning a fight than just how deadly a fucking weapon Basically, I just want to talk for five, six minutes about... Who would win in a fight between Iron Man and Batman? Because that's an interesting conversation. Batman. Batman. Ugh, it's always see, Batman. It's a, it depends on the context. But I don't want it to be just one of those ones where it's like Batman wins every time. Yeah, no, you're right. Context. Because if you just lock them in a room and there's nothing, just like Batman's in his suit and he's got his gadgets mm-hmm. and Iron Man's in his suit mm-hmm. and there's nothing that Batman could do apart from fight, fight him one-on-one, Iron Man would win. Let's be honest. But, but if let's, you, if you, with each fight, we will arrange a context like they're, you know, they both start at one each at one end of a city, not Gotham City, Chicago. In that scenario, I can see Batman winning because the thing that makes Batman dangerous is that he's just a tactical genius. Mm. And as this movie establishes, Stark's pretty much tactic is: I have a tactic, attack. It's basically just fly put, head on at it and then smack it with things. I'd put Captain America against Batman. Yeah, I would actually. That'd be more interesting. Cause That's a more interesting fight, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. We anyway, shall see. You want to put Iron Man <laughs> Finish against... Finish on the Hulk. I just want to say, you want to put Iron Man against Steel. That's who you want to do. Okay. Well, what about Hulk versus Wonder Woman? Hulk. <laughs> Hulk will outlast you. Thor versus Superman? Superman. Mm-hmm. Superman. Say the name of the who will win. <laughs> Superman's indestructible. Yeah. Thor can actually be harmed. Uh huh. But what, I... what if Thor gets some kryptonite? No, no, no. Yeah, but kryptonite's the ultimate, like, oh, wait, well, yeah. we got no. some kryptonite. You want Green Lantern Superman. book? Now, that'd be interesting. I was going to say Green Lantern Doctor Strange. Ooh. Hmm. We are anyway. The so, off topic let's, let's here. But this will give birth to a new type of podcast. So okay, right. Hold that. Open my frost. Okay, one more time. It's called the Avengers Initiative. I thought I didn't qualify. Apparently, I'm volatile and don't play well with others. No hard feelings. Point break. You got a mean swing. The thing about the Avengers is it's a story of people who really have no business being in the same movie. Sort of the glory of the Avengers is the dissonance you get between the Hulk and Thor and Captain America and Iron Man and Black Widow and Hawkeye. I don't think there's anybody that Tony doesn't have some sort of bias of. You have all of these different egos trying to come together to serve something greater than ourselves. Hulk, anyone else? Um, Paul. No, I think we pretty much covered it. Jerome! <laughs> uh, one last thing, like when you first introduced to him where he's like, just help 
people in third world country mm. and he meets Black Widow and like he tests to see like what she's brought by making it seem like he's gonna Hulk like out. Hulk out. But it just shows how he uses the Hulk as a sort of gauge to see how prepared people are. Mm. And uh, a relationship actually starts up between the two of them. So when he starts to hulk out on the helicarrier, he couldn't really have been close to anyone but Black Widow at that point. And so it, she is more vulnerable than any of the rest. And while you want, you'd, lo- you'd love to see Hulk versus Iron Man, you know that she can't, doesn't stand a chance. So it puts you much more in her shoes and, and seeing the Hulk as a, a genuine threat. Mm. I mean, if you, if you think about it, Black Widow is the, uh, Hulk is the only person Black Widow seems to truly fear. I mean, everybody else, she knows that in some way she could handle them. Mm. Yeah. Even Thor? Well, no, I think she, she just pegs Thor as being way too virtuous mm. to even hit a woman. Yeah. I think it's the fact that the others can be reasoned with, and her, yeah. ta- her tactics of espionage can work on those kinds of people, mm. whereas... And, and it works on Loki in one mm. scene, in fact... But with the, you can't reason with the Hulk. No. Um, well, at least you can. You can just give him what he wants. Mode. As we said, that he has an extremely slight performance. I don't actually think that would even work on a movie on its own. That's why he works so well as an accompanying character in this. To really get a great banner, he kind of has to almost fade into the background, so he's there. But I mean, like, um, you got people Ed, like Arjun poking him. Yeah. Ed Norton's banner was, like, super dramatic all the time. And, um, mm. fucking Christ, I just saw Ang Lee's Hulk the other day. I know you like it, Josh, and I like it for the same reasons you do. But his banner, they went out of their way to make him as dull as possible. So you're just watching your clock to, until Hulk turns up. Um, but he's nowhere near as bad as Nick Nolte. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Look, we'll talk I've about told that you before. Nick Nolte, just watch his movies from the 80s. Anything after that, leave yeah. it alone. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that. He's good in the thin red line, but that's not really his movie. Okay. Anything else? On the I think it's fair to say I, they finally got him right. Yeah. And uh, maybe you are right. Maybe it seems strange if you want a good hook he can't be the main focus he needs to be that ever present mm. shadow I could be wrong they they could make a really good Hulk movie in the future but I, I think they need to elaborate on his fiction at the moment because just the simplicity version of Hulk we've seen it done mm. yeah. they do need I mean, that more in control smarter Hulk I think to make a more interesting movie or at least be up against a villain who he can't just smash Red Hulk. See, I never actually had a problem with Hulk in Incredible Hulk. To me, that was all the Hulk I'd ever wanted to see, just a bit greener than that. But I really like what they did with him in this as well, and I'm all about performance capture, and I'm all about really looking at how a character moves and, and how, how CGI can be brought to something that, that can't be replicated in the real world, but at the same time feels real. It's, it's, an, it's an odd seesaw to balance, but if it's done right, like with, say, Kong, you couldn't just get a real gorilla who was trained yeah, no. to do the Kong stuff. Um, and before we go, uh, some of your mini-reviews from Twitter. Uh, I just asked you guys out there to uh, say what you thought about uh, the Avengers film in 140 characters. Uh, Darth Cuddles says, fan-fucking-tastic. Craig Wilson says, epic, that is all. Ryan Astley, Mark Ruffalo is the standout performance, closely followed by Tom Hiddleston. John Barwood, fantastic, amazing, and very hot. 
Scarlett Johansson, that is. Film was good too. <laughs> Derek Ritchie says, very fun movie, but how many fights does one film need? Could have done with one or two less, I feel. You're wrong, Derek. Um, <laughs> I see, I disagree with that. Maybe a uh, little less talky in the middle where it's sagged, but I like the fights. I didn't really feel like it sagged, but it maybe coasted, if that makes it, sense. It, it took its foot off the gas a little in the middle, yeah, didn't it? It didn't really spike, but the spike at the end is so huge that it kind of makes up for it. Um, Chris Eason, excellent film, great mix of action and humour. My new favourite Marvel film previously was Iron Man 1. Uh, I think that'll be the same with a lot of people, actually. Iron Man 1 had a great chemistry of absolutely all elements involved. This one has even more. Uh, Matthew Byatt says, Greater than the sum of its parts. Its parts being the five origin films. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, Dan Ilson says, Avengers was the most fun I've had at the Marvel film since Iron Man. Possibly the most enjoyable of their films. I mean, I'm assuming that all includes Spider-Man. Everyone seems to be sort of honing in on the enjoyability of it, which is obviously is going to sell a lot of tickets. Uh... Matthew Webster says, there was no way the Avengers could live up to the hype built up over the last four years. And yet, somehow it did. And then some. Yeah. Yeah. So that was it. I'm just uh, check Twitter. See if Although, any... let, let's, let's mention one more thing. One yeah. more stupid, annoying thing that's nothing to do with the movie, or the director, or anything like that. Okay. The Three. bloody title. <sighs> uh, you know what? Sharon has said that everyone that her work that she talks to says, the Avengers, what, yes. John Steed? So, as, My dad did that as well. Yeah, I, it's for the oldies. Although, I will admit, the way that it actually comes in kind of works, because you, it just, uh, weird comparison to make, or maybe not, it sort of does the Bond thing, doesn't it? It has that little bit at the start, before the title hits. It gives you yeah. that sort of uh, prologue. And then, you know, what do we do now? And then you half expect well, yeah. you half expect him to say the line and then it just cuts to the title card. Nice. Like, I, that's, he does that a lot in the film. You half expect someone to say something and then it just doesn't. It just assumes you know what they were going to say. And I, do they ever actually refer to themselves as the Avengers? Because Stark does say, you know... It's the Avenger but, Initiative, but they're not actually called the... Ooh, no, they never and call themselves. The Avengers, that's what we call ourselves. No. When starts yeah. pouring a drink, oh. it's a it's an odd um, name because they they give it a really good reason in this, but they were called the Avengers before Coulson died. Yeah. So it's like, well, hang on, the Avengers. It, it seems kind of pointless. It's, surely you want to protect the Earth, not just go, you bastards, we're going to stab you for doing that. Um, which is what kind of the, the, the name suggests. But they're stuck with it because that's what they called them back in the sixties. Hmm. It's weird because you know, you know, you know, we might not be able to save the Earth, but you can be damn sure we'll no, avenge sure we'll it. it. Yeah, it, it, the, they make it work to the best that they can in the film, and now, you know, from now on, it'll be like right. So they're the Avengers, then kind of. And it's funny, isn't it convenient how the only letter left in Stark's name was A as well <laughs> at the end of the, the movie? The... Oh right, yeah. On Avengers, <laughs> Avengers Tower. Tower. nice. <laughs> I don't think they're going to write Avengers Tower on it, are they? No, but I did, it was no, a, it's, it's more. It's always had a big A, didn't it? it? I think so. Nice. I wanted to ask you quickly about this because we had a lot of uh, this was our cover recently. A lot of our readers have. Um, if you want to hold that up, possibly. A lot of our readers have asked about the suit, and they said that's natural the wrong suit. suit. Very nice. Yeah, sorry. Asked about the suit. Yes. Yeah. So can you? A lot of people have said that's the wrong suit for this movie, or that was the old suit. Can you explain? Can you set the record straight? Um, t- uh, I can. Um, there will be more than one suit in the film. And um, uh, 
because uh, they get a bit of wear and tear, honestly. Um, he goes through it, and so, uh, and it's sort of a tradition that they, Marvel brought to the table of, we like to change it up, we like to see the suits evolve. And so um, I said, great, then you're going back to the circle, because the triangle is ass. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm a classicist. The circle has a meaning, the triangle does not. And uh, final question, um, you seem to be one of the busiest men at the moment. Have you got any time to relax here in London, or are you just flying in and, and heading straight out? And what, what are you kind of working on, how you've divided the, your time? This is my day off. <laughs> um, I'm here to score the Avengers. I've been listening to Alan Silvestri uh, just blow my mind for the last several days uh, over at Abbey Road. And uh, then I, uh, they said, you have one down day. And I said, I want to talk about Kevin. <laughs> can't give us a sneak peek of the score. You can't hum a bit for us. G... And that's it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it sounds G. great. Right? He really likes a G chord. <laughs> I was hoping so he'd come up with another one, but it's just the one. The music by Alan Silvestri, who uh, did the music for Captain America. In fact, there's one point where Captain America jumps down in front of Loki and it plays a little bit of his theme, which is nice. Yep. Um, it's, it, I think the most memorable thing about it is the actual Avengers main theme which I'm going to play now for you guys to just remember A really good piece of music in film. It has to be whistleable. It has to be very memorable. It has to be memorable. Mm. And I think this is something that won't immediately sink in. But when you hear it enough times, it will just be that you'll always immediately get this uplifting feeling of the Avengers. It doesn't have that straight-off cachet like um, the Spider-Man music, for example, or the Batman music, both by Danny Elfman. That sort of. It's just there's a couple of bars that will stick in your head. And this one, when it finally kicks in, that will eventually, especially if they bring it back for, uh, for other films, uh, that will really become a, a cinematic classic. And it's also fantastic that it's, they're soundtracks that are not specifically influenced by the Batman films, the Nolan ones, or the Bourne films, because almost everything for the past five, six years has been influenced by one or the other. Well, it's actually, I hate to say that. this, the biggest influence on cinema of the last few years has been He Who Shall Not Be Named. Lucas? Bay. Bay? Oh, right, so Hans Zimmer and all of his stuff. Not musically, but look at the trailers and stuff. Look how much they owe to Bay. And let's face it, this year we had our first Bay rip-off movie. Okay, can, can I just say, Neil... No one's going to see Battleship now because all of the Avengers are taking the screens. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. But I, I just, I'd just like to mention that Michael Bay didn't invent explosions. <laughs> they, they did exist before. They, no, but he, he invented abusing them. <laughs> He, he invented the car going through uh, mid-air whilst on fire in slow motion, I believe. Was that him? <laughs> in a blue sky? That will be all from us this week. Stay tuned to the very end if you want to hear a taste of what's coming around for the next series of reviews. Neil and Josh, please pimp your shows. Josh first? 
Um, you can find me at canandrince.com. Canan Rince has a podcast where we take a game and rip it apart and discuss it in detail. And you can also find reviews and interesting articles on the site. And you can also occasionally find me on Gonzo Planet. And just as a teaser, I discussed this with uh, Alex ages ago. Because, yeah. Um, <laughs> But I have finally um, started uh, making some headway on a secret project that will feature on Gonzo Planet, hopefully soon. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. You can find me over at gameburst.co.uk, where I'm usually found menacing the one and only uh, Babbity Rabbity. <laughs> <laughs> that name's sticking, unfortunately. <laughs> only I, I, might, I might have him a T-shirt made for Gplex. <laughs> Also found menacing Midge Meister, Leg of Time, and Gary Zantonio Blower. And I can also be found being menaced by the one and only Mongo Bear over at KDS 2.0. And we're going to finish on Live to Rise by Soundgarden. For some reason, um, Chris Cornell's voice, and specifically the guitar work of Tom Morello, seem really intertwined with Iron Man. They, I mean, Tom Morello did some of the uh, music in Iron Man, and they used Cochise for the Iron Man trailer, but just chucking in Chris Cornell's voice. Love this song. I will be back on Sunday with a special announcement about Gplex and the second Gonzo Planet magazine show. That is all from us tonight. You've been listening to Digital Gonzo Marvel Movie Reviews. I've been Alex Shaw. Good night. And Avengers, feel free to disassemble now. We're done.